Well, we are in our second week of, uh, we're just going to take a few weeks kind of in a mini sermon series here to think about word pictures of the church. Uh, to think about different images and word pictures that the New Testament writers to describe what the church is. And so last week we looked at the church being the body of Christ. And this week we're going to think about the church being a building. And not just any building, but also the temple. And what does that mean to think of it this way? So the reason we're doing word pictures of the church, uh, and even just thinking about some of the questions I got in the Q&A uh, just a few weeks ago, and we often want to think, well, what is the mission of the church? What is the church supposed to be doing? And often uh, we have thought about that question so much that I think one of the questions that we haven't thought enough about is what is the church what is the church? Not just what is the church supposed to do, but what is the church supposed to be? And so if we go back and look at some of the things, well, what is the church? It helps us understand what the church is supposed to be doing. And so we're going to look at the idea of the church being a building. We're going to look and understand uh, a couple of different scripture passages. For sake of time, we won't make it to every place in the New Testament that uh, the writers talk about the church being a building. Also, remember the caveat I gave last week that every time the writers use the word like a building. It's not using the exact same nuance of meaning in every passage. Sometimes it's a little bit different. Uh, uh, and so you just understand that even as we think about being a building, there's times where the writers talk about uh, the people themselves being uh, participating in the building. And then there's other times where he's saying the, the, the people themselves are the building materials themselves. And so just realize that as you get to some of those other passages that sometimes it's different. When we think of the church being a building, uh, one of the things we've got to keep in mind and understand is that it's, it's a project that's not yet finished. It's a, it's a project that is ongoing. So I don't know how many of you have construction skills or building skills. Uh, I have uh, very, very minimal uh, building skills, construction skills. Uh, to, keep, to, to put this into perspective for you, I brought some tools. Not in a tool belt, not in a toolbox, in a paper bag. Okay? That's the extent of my construction knowledge. So maybe you've seen this on the internet. This is what I can fix. If it doesn't move and it's supposed to move, you've got WD-40. Okay? If, it, if it moves but it's not supposed to move, you've got duct tape. Okay? And when all else fails, hammer. Just, I don't know, the, just use it, something. So that's the extent, uh, like, I, you don't want me to be an architect. You don't want me to be uh, remodel your home, anything. When it comes to a building project, I'm not your guy. However, for as bad as I would be uh, at an architect, the incredible thing about our God and what he's doing with his church he is, he is the wisest architect. He's the most skilled. Uh, he, he understands what he's doing as he places the church and the people in the church together uh, to accomplish his plans and purposes in the world. And so that is an architect that you would want to follow. God and what he's doing with this church and his church is someone that we can trust in, someone that we can submit to, someone that we can love and follow. So as we go through this, I want you to think about the church being a building, and then we'll keep understanding it a little bit more. The two passages that were read is where we're going to stay. So we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to start there. We'll flip over to 1 Peter, and then we'll come back to Ephesians, so you can kind of follow along with me as we go. Uh, 
all through the morning, we're going to kind of think, uh, it's, it's not the who, what, when, where, and why, but it's almost like that. The different parts of the building. We're going to think about a few different aspects of the building and a few different lessons, and along the way, we'll keep getting some of the implications or applications of what these truths mean. So let's start in Ephesians chapter 2 and look at verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." So here's what's going on in this passage. If you, if you back up uh, to at least verse 11, Paul is kind of giving these summarizing, concluding thoughts that both Jew and Gentile have equal privileges, equal family rights in the family of God. And, and he says you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens. You're members with the saints in the household of God. And so he talks about them being a part of the household. One author, one commentator said it this way then in verse 20 his thoughts look at verse 20 his thoughts move from that of the Christians dwelling in the house and he now views them as constituting the house these are the living stones which Peter is going to end up talking about so you look then what he says in verse 20 and he says that that this house, these members being built in the household of God, are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. In him you also are being built together into the dwelling place. So now he says that the people themselves are being built into this building. They're, they're a part of the building. They're the living stones, is what Peter is going to say. And so we're understanding that, that Paul is talking about persons. He's talking about them constituting the building. And so then he helps us understand, well, if, if the people are the building, if the people comprise the church, what's the foundation of the building? And he says that the foundation was built with the apostles and prophets. Chiefly, the cornerstone would be Jesus Christ himself. Well, what is, what is Paul communicating? Peter's also going to pick up on this picture of the cornerstone and Christ being the cornerstone. What is that supposed to help us represent and understand. There's, a, there's several ideas of how a cornerstone was used in buildings, but a couple that perhaps you put them together and we can help understand what this would mean. In one, uh, in, in one way that a cornerstone was used, if you had two walls and you needed to join them together, you would put a cornerstone in. And this would be the, the mesh that would tie the two walls together and be a part of both walls and help tie the two together. The cornerstone would bring the two together and unite them. Another way that it would be used, the cornerstone was the critical piece laid in the foundation and its angles were such that everything was lined up exactly right and every other part of the building would then be traced out along the same angles from that cornerstone. And so perhaps it's with both of these ideas in view. And so one uh, commentator has said it this way, in Christ, Jew and Gentile have been united in one as the cornerstone in which the two partitions of the building are united. In Christ, the building has coherence and stability in its structure. In Christ, the rest of the building finds its inner harmony, oneness, correspondence, and design. 
So God is working on his church to build it into a building. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of that church. And, and yet, Jesus Christ is not the only stone. We're going to talk more about what that means for Christ to be the cornerstone when we get to 1 Peter. But you notice that the apostles and prophets along were also stones with Christ. And then he says, you also are being built into this building. That the people are the stones. So here's one of the implications for us as we think about what it means that the church is a building. Hopefully this will make more sense to you than it did to the kids in the children's message, okay? The people are important, right? You don't go to church. You are the church. There's the implication of this, the idea that we are being built into a building. If you can just make that mental change on a Sunday morning, I'm not going to church. I'm going to a building where the church gathers. And when I leave... I'm going out as the church into the neighborhoods that God has placed me and put me into the workplaces. So we don't go to church. We are the church. Brick and mortar buildings are just places where living stones gather, where, where a living building gathers, and, and then we go out from here as the church and live as God has instructed us to do. You don't go to church. You are the church. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of that church, and I want to go then to 1 Peter to keep picking up some of these implications. If you, if you mark Ephesians 2, we're going to come back to there in just a few minutes. 1 Peter 2, verse 4, and, and Peter's going to pick up on some of these same concepts. And he says this, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, Excuse me. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They, were, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. You see what, what Peter is describing? He's helping the people understand that they as individuals are, are living stones being built up into a spiritual house. There's a couple of real interesting pictures here that, that uh, first of all, the people are stones. That's odd. But he's, not only are they stones, they're living stones. When was the last time you saw a stone that was alive? I mean, you've never seen a person that was a stone, first of all, and one that was living. And here's, here's the picture that he's trying to help them understand that, that God is fashioning and building a building which will be his dwelling place, a spiritual house. It, and, and not only that, he's using the people as living stones. I think you have this quote in your bulletin by Earl Rodmacher, and it says, By implication, the individual Christians are regarded as stones, each in his own place, contributing his part to the progress and completeness of the whole. They are the building materials. 
This is what God is doing with each of these individual stones, with each one of us. We are the building materials that God is using. I want to take that thought and keep thinking about it when we go back to Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to think about the fact that we're living stones, and we'll talk about what that means. But I want to come back to this idea that God is building us into a spiritual house, and he also... um, talks about how Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is the cornerstone that was rejected, that Jesus is the cornerstone of this house. So here's one of the implications of this building. Why do we gather? What is it that the church is to be about? Well, remember, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. It's all truly about him. We don't gather together uh, out of common interests. We don't gather together out of uh, common likes. We don't gather together because we just enjoy one another's company on a Sunday morning. There are other ways you can find that kind of community if that's what you would like. We, we really gather because of Jesus Christ and what he has done, who he is, the truth of salvation that God in his love provided a way of forgiveness of sins so that any who would turn from their sins would place their faith and trust in what Christ has done on the cross would find salvation and eternal life and forgiveness. It's that message of Jesus Christ as recorded in this word around which we gather. It's the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is that's the cornerstone of the church being built. And so, simply by way of application and implication, have you come to Jesus Christ? There's truly no other reason to be here on a Sunday morning. Uh, Friendship and fellowship and common interests are great, uh, but it's really around Jesus Christ and his truth and who he is and what he requires of us that ought to be why we gather as a people. He's, He's the cornerstone of the entire church, He's what holds this all together. He's the common one that we unite around and say, yes, I love Jesus and I love other people who love Jesus and I want to unite together (coughs) as a church with these brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. I want to come back now to that idea of us being living stones. Uh, The idea of the stones being alive implies that the stones are doing something, right? That the stones are, there's an activeness, there's a growth. You even see in 1 Peter, uh, before we go back to Ephesians 2, is that the stones are being built up into a spiritual house. There's this activity going on. There's something taking place. So if we go back to Ephesians chapter 2, and we come back to these verses verse 21 and 22. So we'll just leave these verses on the screen because we're going to camp out on these for quite a while and you can turn to there in, in your scripture, in your Bible and follow along. What does it mean that these stones are alive? They're doing something? The, the idea here is that there is a growth to the building. God is constructing. He is doing something. There is something taking place and also come back to the idea of First Peter that we're living stones that have been fit together. And here's, here's the concept. In verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place by God, for God by the Spirit. So keep in mind that God is building us 
He, he is uh, fitting the structure together and joining it together in such a way that it's being built into a dwelling place for God. There's this activity going on. And, and, and so I think there's a couple of ideas in the way that this growth is taking place. Um, the, the, the building, the, the word that's used in a couple of the pictures that help us think about it is one that the building is being fit together and joined together, almost like in an increasing cohesion, in an increasing bondedness. So it's like a, a qualitative growth that the quality continues to increase of, of, of the people that God is putting together. But then there's also a, a quantitative growth, that, that, that there's this multiplication. New stones are being added to the building. New stones are being added to the structure as God continues to expand his church and proclaim his name to those who haven't yet heard, whether that be in Quebec, whether that be in Philadelphia, or whether that be on the other side of the world. And, and, and I think you've got to have both of those concepts in growth and realizing and understanding that God is, he's increasingly uh, fitting us together in, in our cohesion and in our bondedness and in our unity and in our Christ-likeness, but then also in a, in a, in a, in a quantity way that, that there's new stones being added to the structure. And so we think of both kinds of growth in that aspect. But then I also want you to think about it this way. And last week when we talked about the body of Christ, I went to Ephesians chapter 4. Um, and if you, I don't have these for you on the screen, but you're just two chapters away. If you look at verse 7, but grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So, so God has given grace. He has given gifts of grace. And look down at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. These are some of the gifts that he has given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body so here's some overlap between the body image and the building image the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you catch this? God has given gifts of grace to each part of the body so that every part of the body can help, help this progression and building go forward. So when Peter, coming back to that analogy, talks about us as living stones... The word that he uses for stone, there's several words for a stone in the New Testament. One would be uh, like just a loose stone that you would find on a field or a wayside. There's another word that's used for like a large boulder. But the word that Peter uses is different than those. The word that Peter used is like for a, um, a fitted stone, one that has been worked and shaped. It's been hewn down. Uh, uh, whether it's precious or otherwise, these, these stones are ones that, um, it's a worked stone, one that's fit perfectly in its place. And this is how God is building his church. So in Ephesians 4, you've got this idea that God has given gifts so that each part can do its job. In 1 Peter, you've got this idea of living stones, which are worked stones, 
prepared for a purpose. Every believer has their niche in the family of God and in the church and in God's program so that we would understand that each one of us has a job to do. So there's the implication. Are you doing what God has called you to do in this church? What has God prepared you for? And and that can be a scary thought to think, well, what is the gift that God has given to me? Um, and, and I've shared with you before how encouraging it has been for others to come into my life and say, Aaron, we, we see, we think you have this gift. Go use, exercise it, try it. And some of these things were not things that were comfortable or ordinary for me. If you only stick with what you're comfortable with, sometimes you can think, I know what my gift is and I'm going to do nothing else than this, fill in the blank. And the church already has six of whatever that fill in the blank is. Well, guess what? Maybe God has given you another gift that the church needs and God has prepared you, worked you as a stone to help build the building so that it matures itself and grows in love. What an encouraging thought to know that God uh, uh, has worked us as living stones to be built into this building. So here's the final thing that we need to think about. I say final, but I've got a few minutes left, so don't let me trick you. What, what kind of a building is God building? What is the identity of the building? Well, I'll come back to Ephesians chapter 2, which is still on the screen. In verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The church is the temple. Not in the Old Testament sense of the literal temple where the people went to worship and offer their sacrifices, but but the church now is the dwelling place of God. What, What was the temple? Think about it in the Old Testament. If you go back to some of these stories where you see God lay out the instructions for the temple, remember, God chose the nation of Israel, and he said, you're going to be my people. I will be your God. I will have a special relationship with you, unlike any of the nations around you. There was a problem with that setup, though. How was a righteous and holy God supposed to have a special fellowship and a special communion with these people? Do you remember in the garden? you remember when God walked with Adam and Eve in the day? God dwelt with them and they talked face to face? Sin broke that, right? Adam and Eve had to be kicked out of the garden and no more was this face-to-face fellowship and communion. So God, a righteous and holy God, needed a way to commune with his people. He needed a way to provide a, a covering of sins. He needed some way for his presence to be mediated among his people and the temple became that. For a while, it was the temporary tabernacle. And then you, as, the, as the nation grew and developed, you saw the permanent temple built in Jerusalem. And if you wanted to experience God's presence in that special way and commune with God in that special way, you had to go to this physical location there at the temple. So then fast forward to the New Testament era and Jesus Christ comes And he's the once-for-all sacrifice that permanently does away with everything that the temple required for 
the people of Israel to be able to commune and fellowship with God. And do and you remember when the woman comes and asks Jesus in, in the book of John chapter 4 and she, there, there's this dispute where they're arguing over whether the, where they're going to worship. Will we worship here or will we worship on that mountain? And Jesus says there's a day coming where you will worship in spirit and in truth. And now, we as the church are the reality of that promise, that, that now we, we are being built together into a dwelling place for God. And God, through his spirit, is working out uh, special plans and purposes. And we, it's an incredible thing to realize and see that just as... In a similar way, we should say, as Israel was supposed to be a light and testimony to the nations around them, the nations were supposed to see these people had a special relationship with God. Whatever's going on inside that temple, that's the God I want. Now, they didn't do very good at living that out, but that was the picture that God set up. And so now for us as the church, we are supposed to be the way that God's, we mediate God's presence to a lost and dying world around us. That, that people can know God and experience his truth through the message that we proclaim, through the lives that we live. That, that we can proclaim the good news of, I know God, this is who he is, this is what he has done for me. And I've bound myself to all these brothers and sisters who also love God. And we're here to tell you about that God. And we want you to see his life through us. Come, come to our temple. Experience it. This is how you get to know God. Not in the physical sense. In, in, in the reality of how we live our lives and the truth that we proclaim. You see, God is fashioning us. He's shaping us. He's working with us. We are a work under construction. We're a work in progress. God's forming a building. And that building is a temple that he by his spirit would dwell with us and that we could proclaim that dwelling to a lost and dying world around us because there's a day coming when what we experience now in part, dimly, it'll be reality again. It'll be God dwelling with man. And we want as many people that live in our communities to know and experience that day. And so we live this way to proclaim those truths for him. I trust that God is at work in you, in our church. We will ask him to do these things to continue to shape us as a people, as a building, as a temple that we would, that we would extend, that we would mediate his presence to a lost and dying world around us. That's what we need to do as a church. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for who you are as God. We're grateful for the truth that you are working on us. You're building us. You are growing on us. We are thankful for the foundation you've given us. We're thankful for the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. May that truly be central in our lives. May we as a people seek to uh, dwell with you, to get to know you, to love you such that, that as we leave here as the church, people can't help but notice there's something different about our lives. We must have something that they need, and I pray that we would uh, represent you well to the lost and dying world around us. We ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.